available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome everyone back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. The UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the 24-7 site that covers USC. And we are the Podcast of Champions talking all things Pac-12 football. We got an interesting show for you today. We're going to go over the best players heading into the 2019 season for the Pac-12. We talked to every single publisher in the 24-7 Sports Network here on the West Coast for the Pac-12, and we got their answers for who the best players are in everyone's team. So we're going to go over all of that today and answer all of your questions. If you have questions, Pac-12podcast at gmail.com. That's our email address. Or if you'd rather call or text us, you can do that. Get on your phone and dial or text to 424 532 0678. You can go on Twitter and tweet us there at Pac 12 Podcast and our website, which is going to look a little different now, Pac 12 Podcast.com. You can find all the old episodes. If you have a, a favorite, you missed it at some point, and it's not on your podcasting app for whatever reason, just go to the Pac 12 Podcast.com and you can get the little details on all of our previous episodes. And we, you know, Dave, we love when people leave us the uh, positive feedback, the five star ratings, and cool reviews so i don't know if we got any this week but we've been getting a bunch of them lately yeah we got a couple i can't remember if i read them um but they're both you know positive uh we got one from fourth and 20 um it's herocious google it if you don't know uh also they don't cuss too much so it's safe to listen to with kids in the car if the hosts were disney princesses they'd be whichever princesses are sarcastic (laughs) a-holes Uh, then Mr. McKay said, uh, the Jake Browning of Pac-12 podcasts, uh, if you're looking for a genuine conversation on how leisure, leisure suit Larry is turning the Pac-12 into the Venezuela of college football, you've come to the right place. Rick and Dan, Rick and Dan, Mm. I love it, seem to say just enough to keep you interested before running slow circles around Disney princesses. And just when you think you've had enough of their punt-like passes of unrelated to anything Pac-12 conversations... They return for a seven year of eligibility and continue to win. Keep up the good work. All right. Good. Thanks, good. guys. Yeah, those are good. Very smart. I mean, I, we have a really smart group of people that review uh, the podcast. It was funny. I, yeah. C- completely aside, I got a call from someone I think I had knew before. It's someone in the industry that, that I obviously didn't do much homework. They're like, hey, uh, do you do like a, a USC podcast or a Pac 12 podcast? I'm like, uh, yes, I do. I've been doing the USC one for like 12 years. I think the Pac-12 one, like five years now. Yeah. And he's like, you know, I was interested in starting one. I wanted someone that was established. And I'm like, yeah, I've been doing one for five years. <laughs> so like if you're if you're looking to start one, I don't want to, hopefully he's not listening, but if you're looking to start one, like you could have done, you know, looked at my Twitter profile and know that I I do this one already. Um, it's like you really are going in without knowing much of anything because you don't know that I that we we've the only one that's been established and have done one for forever like this. It's kind of it was kind of a weird conversation. I was like, really? Okay. Yeah, I don't really get people who um 
I, I still don't really get the concept of, of people who ask questions when they haven't yet Googled. Like yeah. my first instinct at all times is if I don't know something, I just Google it really quickly. Um, and I think there is an age divide there. I, like for you, do, do you Google something if you don't know the answer immediately? Oh, yeah. All the time. Oh, yeah. So maybe it's the 50 and upset, but there is like a real divide. And some, and I mean, you work in, you work with like, you know, website stuff all the time. So you're probably used to it. But it does seem like some people have that instinct and some people don't. Like they just don't get it. And so they're not Googling you to see, okay, what podcast does this guy do before I ask him a bunch of weird questions? Yeah, it's, it was just kind of, I don't know, just, it's a little bit weird. Like just do a search for Pac-12 podcast and see, I mean, before I like go looking for co-hosts, if I want to start something, I want to know what's out there. Um, so yeah, it'd be like someone coming, you know, emailing you or calling you like, David, I, we have a mutual, we had like a mutual friend in radio or something. And uh, yeah, I, I know you, uh, you, you went to UCLA and stuff. I was, um, I'm starting this UCLA site. We cover football recruiting and stuff. And, uh, I, I, I want to know if you want to work for me, you know, it's like, well, that, that's what I do now. And yeah, you know, it's like, it'd be like somebody asking me, I, I want to start a habit of not responding to text messages or emails. <laughs> um, do you know somebody who does that already? Who'd be good to talk to. <laughs> You're like, he's pretty good at it. Um, I'm pretty good at it. Yeah. If I have a talent, it's that. <laughs> I don't know. It was just kind of a weird, it was just like this random text message out of the blue this morning from a, a, a mutual like radio friend or whatever. But I hey, like, and I want, I want to mention Ryan up top. Um, I'm, I'm adjusting my cadence every time and you're starting to roll with it. But I want to say like your intro, like you'll change the wording based on my cadence. It's really <laughs> kind of cool. I'm just going to experiment with this every show now. I think I did. Well, the cadence, I know, you know people do the uh, you know the different um, speed when they're listening to the podcast, and it completely screws me up usually because like my head's in one place. Well, first of all, our head's not really in it when we start the show anyway. Never, so. never. No, it takes <laughs> us like it takes us about a half hour to hit a rhythm. Then we're good for about five minutes, and then we get tired, and it's more or less a slog from there on. Yeah, it's sort of like when you're drinking at the bowling alley. Like it just sucks in the beginning, and then you get this like good buzz, and you're like, "Wow, I'm good!" And then you get too drunk, and then it's just bad after that. So we you have know, like you the, you have it's the I, for bowling I call it the like the the three or four beer range. Yeah, and that lasts for however. I mean, once you're at three beers, you're probably drinking pretty quickly. So you're you're talking five to ten minutes of like really good bowling, and then it's all downhill. <laughs> Yeah, but it was, and I, my throat's a little, uh, I'm a little, I don't know, under the weather, but I just like, I've just had a sore throat for the last couple of days. So I think that kind of throws things off a little bit too. But I think I said, yeah, I, I put things out of order this, this, you know, when uh, we did the intro, but try to roll with it. But uh, yeah, I know <laughs> it's funny when you do that and like <laughs> coming out of the gate, it's like, oh, this is tough. Yeah, I'm sure you love it. I'm sure you love yeah. it. I, I do these things to make your job uh, just that. Just that extra, extra inch more difficult. Yeah. Uh, I had a friend, uh, this is completely off base. So David, like, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out when to do the show. And then, you know, David like texted me like an hour before, like, Hey, can you do it an hour early? I'm like, yeah, all right. I'll, I can come in or whatever. And, uh, I had a friend like that's starting to be a financial planner and he, uh, wants to meet up with all his friends. It's like, I'm not using a brand new financial planner or whatever, but, uh, you know, I just try to help him out and stuff. And he was like, Changed it this morning, like half hour later, I walked down to this little coffee shop because it's in my town. It takes me like 15 minutes to walk there. And he texted me like, hey, I'm going to be late. Uh, and I'm like, can we do it another time? I'm like, no, dude, I just 
I spent like 15 minutes walking down to this place. Get your ass down here. So it's just, you know, you got to be able to roll with it with some people. Uh, when, when someone's asking you to do a favor, you should probably be on time for stuff. For this, I don't expect you because we're like, you know, it's not like we're getting paid a lot of money or anything. No, no. I mean, it's not no money, but it's like, again, we've made this point before. It would almost be better if it was no money. Yeah. Like, then it's pure hobby. Um, all right. Well, we have we have we have things to actually discuss today. Um, first, we we, we want to go through our 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 our, our all Pac twelve team because it's finally complete, right? It is. Um, and I don't know if it's really it's it's this was another request I got from some radio guy that was like, "Hey, can you come on and talk about the top five players at each position in the Pac twelve? And I was like, "Well, no," because <laughs> like that's. That's like a weird ask, like right off the bat. I was like, you know what? That'd be a good idea. Let's email the whole crew and have everyone nominate people. Now, we didn't like limit it to five. It's just whoever was nominated is in there. and We can kind of pare it down if we have to. So it's maybe not all. It's kind of all Pac-12, but maybe not really all Pac-12 because it's really like five. It could be five or six guys per position. Um, but I think we have a pretty good group there and uh, some good explanations of, of all the stuff. I, I think it'll be kind of fun to go over all these. Absolutely. You want to dive right in? Yeah, we should. Um, so we, we emailed all the publishers and asked them like, hey, if you feel what the question was, do you feel uh, anyone on the team that you cover would be, you know, should be considered for like top five at their position in the in the conference? And I think for the I mean, I haven't gone through it with a fine tooth comb, David, but I, I think for the most part, people were pretty good about it. it there wasn't like one site that nominates someone for every position. Uh, or anything like that, but did, or you probably feel differently. I'm guessing there were there were a couple that I thought were a little excessive, I, and I don't want to call any one person out because whatever you get kind of a blind spot when you're covering a, a particular team sometimes. Um, but I think what might be good is we go through each position, um, maybe rank them according to our own perspective if we have even a thought about it. I mean, let's just be honest: if it's offensive guard, we might not have a some like really robust thoughts about it. Um, but we can do kind of our own ranking and then see if there's, you know, anybody in that group we don't think fits that, you know, maybe shouldn't be mentioned among the top players. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Okay. All um, right. Should we start with quarterback? Yeah, let's go quarterback. All right. Um, so we got five responses here. So I think this is also an interesting thing to look at. Um, only five of the 12 respondents thought that the quarterback of the team they cover should even be included in this list, which I think is a commentary on the unknown factor with a lot of quarterbacks in the league, but also I think it's still a commentary on just the fact that I think quarterback talent is overall maybe a little bit down in the Pac-12 compared to some years in the past. Um, but anyway, the list, um, should we read their entire blurb about each one? I don't know. I mean, we can, if we need to get some more details, we can, but not okay. everyone gave a blurb, but it's up to you. What, what do you think? Uh, I'll, I'll carve them up for details. So okay. um, uh, the first on the list, Stanford, uh, KJ Costello, um, you know, obviously a good quarterback last year, was ranked just behind Gardner Minshew and a lot of conventional stats last year among Pac-12 QBs, so... Um, no argument there. Do you have an argument there? No, and these aren't, I'm sorry, if, uh, these aren't in order. Um, no, no, and sorry if I gave that impression. No, this is just the list we have them in, so yeah. we're going to read them off, and then we'll give our ranking of of how we would we would tag these ones at this point, uh, yeah. but obviously included in that top five group for sure. Yeah, I would say he's certainly up there. Um, Arizona Khalil Tate. 
Now, this one's interesting. Uh, Tate was, you know, maybe the most explosive player in college football two years ago uh, for about a month and a half. Um, and then last year wasn't good. Um, struggled, had injuries, um, but also just didn't look like the same player, even when he was relatively healthy, wasn't running nearly as much as he did. Um, real question of how he's going to work with Noel Mazzoni. Um, any argument against Tate in the top five for you? No, I would put him in there. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, Chip Kelly's getting credit for all the wins at Oregon. Like you saw what he did. Did it work out last year? No, but you know that the potential is there and not that there's not potential in other places and other, you know, where you, you don't mention one of the quarterbacks, but you've seen him do it before. And if he's anywhere close to that, he's top five. Yeah. I, I think I agree with that. And I think, also, yeah, it's just, it's, there's so much upside there. Um, you know, he, he could be top on this list um, if he has a year that's, you know, 80 percent of what he was doing for that six for that six week period in, you know, 2017. So uh, then Utah, Tyler Huntley, um, Huntley's, you know, battled injuries the last couple of years, um, but he had made a bunch of strides last season before he went down in early November, um, you know, didn't finish out the year. But I, I thought it was obvious you know, Utah was able to get through the final part of the season and, and make the Pac-12 title game, which is a credit to that system, that coaching staff, and backup Jason Shelley. But I thought it was obvious the offense was not firing on all cylinders when Moss and and, and Huntley went down. And I think a lot of that was Huntley. Um, yeah. So um, I think from a value for his team standpoint, definitely. And I think from a pure talent standpoint, I, th- I, I think it's an easy argument to make he's top five. Yeah, I just, just from what he's done, the potential, all of that, I think, you know, and, and Utah's going to be good. It doesn't, it uh, doesn't hurt if you're going to be a, a good quarterback on a good team. So uh, I think all those things are going in his favor. I would put him top five. Absolutely. Um, and then uh, this one might be a little controversial um, for Colorado. Uh, Steven Montez, senior starter, um, starting in a new system now. Um, still might have had his best moments as a quarterback when he was um, – kind of backing up and, and playing for behind Sefa Lufau. But I thought he did make a lot of strides last year. Um, uh, consistency overall has, you know, kind of been a bit of an issue for him, but you could blame offensive line play for that. Um, but, you know, he's got a ton of physical tools, could put it all together in a big senior season. Um, any issues with him being in the top five? You know, it's, it's one of those things where he's got 27 starts. So it's, you know, it's hard to argue um, you know, maybe he doesn't, is he going to have as good a year as like a JT Daniels at USC? I don't know. He might not, you know, it, it, he, Daniels could have a huge year in this, you know, but you look at the numbers from last year, it's just, you can't, I wouldn't really put him above Steven Montez at this point, but I, I don't know who else you would put above him. Just having 27 starts coming in and being, you know, somewhat efficient, I think, uh, you know, and the potential there, I think you'd want to have them in your top five. Yeah, and, and think about it this way. Uh, right now, looking at what JT Daniels did last year and Steven Montez last year, if you could switch both players and you could take Montez with USC's supporting cast and flip Daniels to Colorado's supporting cast, would Montez be a better like? Would Montez do a better job with USC this year than JT Daniels? Yeah, it's like, I mean, no, it's probably. Hard. Yeah, would, you would with all the experience he has, you'd think so. Um, yeah. But we just don't know. I mean, USC. The problem was USC system last year was pretty horrific. Um, it was a uh, hero. It was a. Uh, Why are they you were ferocious? Yeah, yeah. It was come heroic. on, man. I know. Um, so it was bad, and you put a Montez in there. I mean, some people USC fans argue you could put Justin Herbert in there, and it wouldn't have been good. So 
we'll see. I mean, that's just kind of based on what you saw uh, last year for Montez, the last couple. Um, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if like JT Daniels had some huge year because they have this way better system now and it's just better for them. But um, I, I, yeah, I don't have a problem with Montez being in there. Cool. Um, yeah, I think I think it's right for top five. Um, it, there's not even that many guys with great arguments. I mean, you're you're talking. I mean, if we're talking about the full s- scope and spectrum, we still don't know who Washington State's quarterback is. I mean, I'm sure they're going to perform well because Mike Leach quarterbacks always do, but we don't know who. Uh, Jacob Eason, we've only really got a freshman year at Georgia to to go on um, at Washington. Jake Luton at Oregon State, don't really know. Um, whoever ends up at Cal, I don't think that's that's decided yet. Um, and then, you know, UCLA, it's Dorian Thompson Robinson, USC, it's JT Daniels. So still two young guys who just we haven't seen enough from yet. Um, and then at ASU, who am I missing? Well, he, well, Manny Wilkins is, is gone. So, I mean, there's just, there's not a lot of returning starters that you could argue should be above any of these guys. Like you'd have to put a rookie or someone or someone that, you know, well, it's going to be Jade. It might be Jaden Daniels at twenty nine at um, at ASU. Right. So, but it's hard to say. He's this high school kid is going to be top five in the conference. Like he might be by the end of the year, but it, you don't project. You know, he's not preseason that. You know. And then finally, Oregon Justin Herbert. Um, obviously, it's a joke that he's in the top five. Right. <laughs> we should have put. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to name his name. But he was a quarterback for the last couple of years at Washington. He should be on this list somehow. Well, <laughs> he is coming back, right? <laughs> for year seven. Um, this, oh, you know what we should call this? This is the um, the Jake Browning Memorial quarterback ranking. I, I, that's a really good. I like that. Okay. Yeah. Good. 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 He just um, missed right. making the cut. <laughs> so Justin Herbert, obviously, that makes a ton of sense. Um, still being talked about as a potential first round pick. So. Tons of sense. Um, all right. So if we're ranking this group right now, um, it's for me, it's either Herbert or Costello first. Yeah. I'd I'll probably, probably go, go Herbert. Her- I'd probably go Herbert, Costello, Tate, Huntley, Hun- Tate, Huntley, Montez, I think. Well, I don't know. Would you I think rather I'd flip? I'd flip Huntley and Tate just okay. because Tate was so bad last year. Okay. Um, but yeah, you could convince me either way. I think Montez rounds out the top five. Right. I think that makes sense. All right. Should we move on to receiver? Yeah. Let's talk. We got how many of these? We got, there's more of these. Yes. More more nominations. So we can kind of pare it down a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So we got uh, nominations from one, two, three, four, five, six, seven individual schools. So five schools didn't see fit to include a receiver here, um, which is interesting. You know, it's a position group where, you know, there's a lot of bodies. So, um, you know, it's that's interesting that, you know, neither of the Arizona schools think that they have a plus receiver um, or one who should be included in this list. Um, Oregon doesn't think so, which makes sense with uh, with Dylan Mitchell moving on um, and uh, Cal, which makes sense. Stanford, which makes sense yeah. because they lost their entire <laughs> receiving core. Um, all right, so interesting. Let's let's dive right into this. Um, Utah makes a ton of sense to me. It's Britton Covey, um, yeah. who came back last year from his mission. I think it was last year that it was his first year back from the mission. Right, yeah. Um, and made an impact immediately, showed a ton of toughness, took a bunch of big hits all year, um, looked exactly like the same guy who, who left after his true freshman year. So that one makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah, I like, I like him there. Um, I mean, 
our buddy said it was a, a huge stretch, but uh, I think Dan Sorensen sent these in. But I don't know if it's a huge stretch. I mean, I think you could consider him uh, just been a dynamic playmaker uh, in that offense, and I think he helped uh, you know a lot, especially down the stretch. So yeah, I, I would go with Covey. Yeah, I, I, well, I should say I don't have a problem with him making like a, a cut from Utah. Right, I yeah. don't know if he would make a top five from this list. We'll get through the list and see what we think, but um, certainly uh, valid a valid nomination. Yeah. Um, and then for UCLA, Theo Howard. Um, this is an interesting one for me. So Tracy submitted these for UCLA, and I, I didn't really disagree with any of them. I think it's, again, a valid nomination. Howard will have to step up, though, this year. Um, he's been pretty consistent. I mean, he, he does, you know, his 50 catches for, you know, about 12 or 13 yards a pop. Um, he hasn't been the big play threat that um, a lot of people pegged him as coming into school. There were a lot of... Um, there were a lot of comparisons between him at a high school and Marquise Lee, and I haven't seen any of that. Um, he's more been just kind of that consistent guy. He can, he, you know, he's got good hands. Um, he's he's fast and quick, but just hasn't shown that game breaking ability. Um, and he's going to have to a little bit because he's going to have to be more or less the go to guy after Caleb Wilson left. So there's certainly upside there because I think he's going to get a ton of targets, but it's a question of whether or not he's going to be able to do it. Yeah. Um, you agree? Yeah, no, I think, yeah, the, the Marquis Lee things, I don't see it, but he's been super consistent, but will he, is he going to just be the number one guy now? I mean, there was the Caleb Wilson factor. He was always there. And I think he just has to show he can be this super reliable, uh, you know, number one guy. And, you know, maybe you, you throw in a few more touchdowns and stuff in there, but yeah, I, I, I think he's you know a good nomination from UCLA. Yep. Um, from UW, uh, Aaron Fuller, um, who's probably going to be their number one guy this year. You would think uh, so. Yeah. Yeah. He, and he was good last year. Um, and he, you know, he made some big plays. Um, I think he ended up, uh, nearly averaging, what would that be? About 15 yards, a uh, a catch, something like that. Yeah. He had 58 for 874, right? Okay. Yeah. So 60 for 900 would be 15. So yeah. Um, roughly. And uh, was very uh, consistent. Um, you know, I, I, this says not the flashiest receiver out there, and I kind of get that. But I always thought he had pretty good speed, pretty good playmaking ability. So yeah. this one makes sense for me, and I think he's a big, strong guy. So yes, that 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 fits for me. But without Jake Jacob Browning, you know, I, I mean, know. obviously everyone's going to take a hit on that offense. Yeah, that's good. That whole tough. receiving core has got to be hurting right yeah. now. But he'll probably um, be the go, number one guy. You're talking well, about the that, best team in the conference. Like he's he'll probably be on this list. Yeah. Think about how easy it is to catch a ball from Jake Brown. Yeah. Like a two year old could do it. Like they're running out downfield, and it's like it's just it's like a it's like just a soft cloud falling in your hands. Yeah. Um, you know, it, th- catching something that's going more than like five miles an hour is a big adjustment. Then right. And um, he, and you're always pretty close to him because he can't throw it that far. So you got to be, you know. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right, and then from Oregon State, Isaiah Hodgins, and this is, um, I think, obvious. Um, I, he's probably going to make my top five. I think he's a really, really good player, um, and he made a ton of plays last year. Um, Oregon State quietly has um, two of the better skill guys, or I guess whatever you want to call running backs, but uh, Jamar Jefferson and Isaiah Hodgins, I think they're two of the better players at receiver and running back in the league. Um, and it's Oregon state, but, um, no, I love Hodgins. I think he's really good. 
Yeah, he, um, we'll see. We'll see if he ends up making my top five when I actually go through it. But right now, I'd say he's in. He was All Pac-12 honorable mention uh, last year, and uh, he had nine starts in the eleven games he played. I thought there was an injury there, but I don't remember. Specific. But he had uh, fifty-nine catches for eight hundred seventy-six yards and five touchdowns for you know Oregon Oregon State offense that was like scored twenty-six points a game. I think that was pretty good. Um, you know. I think he did his part. It just, there were some other issues there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. Um, all right. And then for Colorado, LaVisca Chenault, who's uh, – I'm just going to – spoiler alert, he's my number one. Yeah. Um, dude is just incredible. Um, and, you know, he was dinged up last year. I thought it coincided a lot with Colorado's downturn last year. Um, and then he was limited again in the spring with a couple of injuries. But – He's expected to be fully back by fall camp, and I think he's going to be um, a stud again. It'll be interesting to see if they use him in the same really, really highly utilized role where he was basically doing everything from wildcat quarterback to running back to receiver to slot to whatever they needed him to do. Um, maybe that contributes to injuries if you're just on the field doing everything all the time. So it'll be interesting to see, but he's, um, yeah, he's, he's a stud, absolute yeah. stud. Best of the conference. So when Nikhil Harry gone, especially, it's no question. Yep. All right. Then for USC, you submitted a couple of guys, Michael Pittman and Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, St. Brown obviously did a ton out of the slot and was, you know, very much early on was JT Daniels' number one and only target. Um, whereas Pittman, yeah, I, I think Pittman's, he's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I think he's going to have a huge year. But any thoughts on those two guys? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I, even a guy like Tyler Vaughn's could be, you know, I, could be up there. But you just don't really know what to expect. But Pittman is, he's sort of like the hero ball guy. He would make the, the catches downfield where the offense just looked terrible. And then you just throw it up to him and he goes up and makes the grab. And St. Brown was just dynamic with the ball in his hands. And I think he's going to get a lot better after his true freshman season. So they asked him to do a lot. And I think now in a much more competent offense, both these guys can have huge years. There's a, I mean, there's a reason a lot of people think that USC has the best group of receivers in the conference and, you know, top three or something in the country. And there's just a lot of really good dudes there. So it's hard to say who's going to be better, but I, I had to nominate both of them because I think they both have a chance. And then for Washington State rounding out this group is Tay Martin, who I'm like stunned to learn is even still at Washington State, but he's apparently still even a junior. Is that I, or was he a junior last year? I think that's got to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He oh, no, had no, to he have been a junior, junior last year. Okay, yeah, he was a junior last year. Okay, yeah. He had to have been right. Yeah, because he had a team best. They, he wrote here team best three hundred uh, three hundred yard games and 11. no, he was a sophomore last year. I could have sworn this dude has been there for years. Huh? There was another Martin there. I think that's what it is. I think that's what's throwing me. Was the running back was wasn't, wasn't there like a Martin? Tavares Martin or something like that? Okay, maybe yeah. Man, uh, I don't know. Everything's hard. Um, anyway, uh, he's very good. Um, not to, notwithstanding that we don't even know exactly who he is. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where I think he's really good, but I also think that offense makes it easy to produce. So yeah. it's hard to know, but he's definitely going to put up some huge numbers again this year. Um, so can't fault that. And uh, yeah, I think he's a talented player. The air, that that area does spread it around a ton. I mean, everyone gets touches. That's kind of uh, Mike Leach's definition of balance. Um, but I think if if they wanted to focus on him, he could catch a hundred balls. Yeah. Um, so we'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But obviously, a worthy addition. Yeah, he had sixty nine catches last year, eight touchdowns. It's uh, one of those things. 
Are you going to have drop off at the quarterback spot? If you just expect Mike Leach's offenses to just shine, but you know he's probably going to be the focus, uh, you know, of, of probably the most targets, and uh, for good reason. You know, just being in that offense, you have to you're going to have somebody in the top five because there's going to be so much uh, passing and so much you know you know spreading the ball around. But there's someone's going to have have to emerge. It's probably going to be Tay Martin. Yep. All right, so if we're ranking this, I'm going LaVisca Chenault first. Any complaints? No, I think that's good. It's, it's going to be hard to do these, but I, I think he's a clear number one. All right, so number one, Chenault. And then after that, it gets a little bit funky. I might go Tay Martin next. It's good if you're going to look at his numbers by the end of the year. They're, yeah, they're just probably production going to be standpoint. Huge. Yeah. yeah. Um, then I might go Fuller. Again, the same sort of thing. Like, do you expect an upgrade at the quarterback spot? He might have a freaking monster year, you know? Yeah, he goes over 1,000 yards with, like, you know, 65 catches. Yeah. That could happen. All right, so Chenault, Tay Martin, Fuller. um, And then I'd probably pick one of the USC guys. I'd probably go Amon Ross St. Brown um, and then Hodgins. Um, That would probably be my crew. Yeah, you could do that. I mean, I, I you could argue. I mean, you could argue any of these guys, but that that's that sounds like a good list to me. I think it's a soft top five. I think uh, uh, every one of these guys would have an argument. I think for that top five, um, but that would probably be my my working group. Yeah, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a great year for receiver um, in the league. Uh, Chenault's like the clear guy who's like an absolute dominant stud, but I don't think there's another guy who is. Um, he's like physically, athletically, hugely dominant and has actually produced at that level. Cause obviously Pittman and St. Brown have all that talent, but Pittman was a 400 yard receiver last year. Uh, St. Brown was like a 600 yard receiver last year. So they have, you know, they've still got to show it a little bit more. Right. Um, but okay, cool. That works. Good group. All right. Uh, moving on to running back. So for this one, we got six submissions. So that means that there are six teams in the league that did not submit a running back for this. Um, so interesting, but I think this is maybe the most star studded group. Um, the most packed with like real talent and guys who have arguments to be the number one guy. Yeah. Um, or at least at the top level of it, I think there are like four guys who have a real argument to be number one guy in the league. And I think, you know, I think some of the people that responded to that, if they weren't really sure, I mean, I think USC has got a really good group of running backs and like a Stephen Carr of a vibe. You don't even know who's going to start though. Yeah. You're not sure who's starting. So it's like hard. I'm not putting three guys on here. So it's more of a committee right now. One might emerge by the end of the year, but some of these are good. Cause you know, you know, JJ Taylor, you know, Joshua, like, you know, these guys are going to be the studs. So I think that, it makes sense. The people that have been nominated. Yeah. All right. So starting at the uh, beginning, uh, Arizona, JJ Taylor, um, put up nearly 1400 yards last year. Um, obviously their best offensive player. Absolutely. No complaints there. No, he's, he's not my number one guy in the league, but he's, uh, he's a stud. Yeah. And if you have a more effective Khalil Tate, he could even do more, you know? So yep. yeah, no problem with that. All right, and then for Utah, Zach Moss um, obviously suffered an injury in November, um, and that kind of derailed Utah's offense to an extent, along with Huntley's injury. Uh, But he was a huge part of that offensive surge in October when they looked just like no one was going to beat them for the rest of the year. Um, No complaints there, especially if they are going back to more of a, you know, pounding offense, more traditional Utah, which it sounds like they might with Andy Ludwig, who's, you know, started with Whittingham way back when. 
Yeah, and it, again, I think he pairs up well with. They were high school teammates, right? With uh, Tyler Huntley, didn't they go to high school together in Florida? Um, I mean, you get both of those guys healthy and effective. I think uh, you know a, a Huntley that can run the ball and you throw it all over the field. I think it makes Zach Moss all that more uh, you know important. So I think, yeah, I think this is going to work well. That those you know the, for, for Arizona and Utah, I think there's a, a good marriage there between the running back and quarterback. Yeah, he. It, it was just the only thing that gave me pause there is this, that slight strangeness to that knee injury. Like it was something like climbing into or out of bed that hurt his knee. Yeah. Know. Um, and then for UCLA, Joshua Kelly, uh, kind of came out of nowhere last year. Um, former walk on from UC Davis didn't even start until I think the fourth game of the year. Um, and then ran for the tenth most yards in UCLA history. Uh, completely blew up USC in that game. Uh, with almost three hundred yards. Um, he was a huge stud last year. Um, yeah, that, that one totally fits. He's, he's in contention for number one for me. Yeah, you know, I just, I wasn't really that impressed. I've only really saw him like in one game. I just wasn't that <laughs> impressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah. he's a freaking stud. <laughs> yep. 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 Um, and so the, the other one who I think is probably going to win my number one, uh, ASU, you know, Benjamin, uh, led the Pac-12 in rushing last year, uh, broke school records for rushing yards and carries in a season, um, and is, I, I, yeah, I mean, he's he's going to be in contention for All-American all honors if that offense can just, if they can go just a little, like if that offensive line can move the ball, just can move the line just a little bit, then I think Benjamin's uh, potentially going to be an All-American type. An absolute stud. But, you know, you had some veterans on the offense that was helping him out with the Nikhil Harry and uh, Manny Wilkins and stuff. So it's going to be more of the, you know, Benjamin show. Uh, they're not going to be talking about those other guys. It's going to be focused on him. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure he can handle it, but just it's going to be a little bit different now for him than what he saw last year. Yeah. And he did carry the ball 300 times last year. That's it? <laughs> um and then for UW this is one where I'm a little iffy on including him uh Salvan Ahmed um who is the heir to Miles Gaskin and there's some people who like him who liked him even last year more than Gaskin but I I just haven't seen enough um I think he's good um I think he has home run potential every time he touches the ball but I just I, I haven't seen enough um you know and he you know, ran for 608 yards on a little over 100 carries last year, so that's pretty good. But um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know about his inclusion in a in a top five. Yeah, I, he would probably be the guy I leave out, but you wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he's going to be. I mean, the numbers he put up when he got in, for, you know, uh, spelling Gaskin were great. You know, just for it's limited. You know, he had 100 touches, but you know, and because you're on Washington and you're the favorite to, you know, make the playoff and all that kind of stuff, then like, yeah, he's going to be good. He's going to be really effective in this offense. But for pre, I, I, you know, I'd like to look at it, you know, mid season, you're like, oh yeah, the guy's amazing. But going the preseason, I think there's five other guys that are more established that I would probably put above him. Yeah. And then uh, rounding out the group, um, Oregon state, Jamar Jefferson, easy pick for the top five for me. Um, I think he's a wild card. Cause I, I, Honestly, from like a talent, from what I saw him doing with what was available for that Oregon State offense last year, I don't know if there's a better running back who made a lot out of a little. I mean, I think Joshua Kelly did. Um, there wasn't a whole lot in that offense before he started getting going. Uh, but Jefferson was really, really impressive last year. Averaging almost six yards a carry in that offense is that's 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 studly. 
So I'm I'm really intrigued to see where he ends up this year. Um, probably not going to be my number one guy just because of the limitations of Oregon State, but a lot of talent there. Yeah, he uh, he had what is he, he had 238 yards like in his second game up there at Oregon State. Yeah, um, 254 like a you know in a in a loss to ASU. He ran for 250 <laughs> yards. Absolute uh, stud. Narbonne High School, pride of Narbonne. They're having some issues right now. We had a question on that last week, but he's a he's a stud and. And you know where it's going. Like there, it wasn't like they had this super effective passing offense to, to take any of the pressure off from or anything. So man, yeah, he's in the top five. Yep. All right. So our group is okay. So if I'm picking number one, I'm going Nino Benjamin. I would probably go Benjamin Kelly. Yeah, I think I say Kelly number two, um, and then it's a. So Moss, I think, would have been number two if. Um, I, if he hadn't ended last year injured, um, but not knowing exactly how he's going to look this year, I'm, I, I think he's my number three, but I think it's between him and Jefferson. Yeah. <sighs> and then I'm saying JJ Taylor, number five. Yeah. And I, I mean, I could see Taylor above that too, but I, I, I like that. I think there's five guys and there's those five guys. I could see all of them rushing for like 1500 yards next year. Um, yeah. And I think the conference would be better for it, but they're all, they're, they all got that potential, but I, I like that. If you want to go, uh, do you want to go Moss Jefferson or Jefferson Moss? I will go Moss Jefferson. Okay. Moss Jefferson. We'll go Taylor. seniority. Yeah. Little seniority there. That's fine. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. That's a, that's a good group. Now these ones are going to be like offensive linemen. I don't know if we can re really rank these. We should probably just kind of, I mean, I guess we could, but I, it's not like something. No, we're I, I, don't, I won't have strong enough opinions. So yeah. let's let's just we'll read them off. Um, all right. So for offensive tackle. Um, so we got submissions from one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight individual schools. Um, so the ones who didn't submit were UCLA, which is no surprise. Um, Arizona State. Uh, Colorado which is not really a surprise. Yeah. Um, and then Oregon state. Yeah. Looking like, okay. We got two, um, two from Oregon, two, two, two from Oregon. Oregon. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, for Cal, uh, tackle Jake Curhan, um, 25 consecutive starts at right at right tackle. Um, he should emerge as a top five guy, even if he's not already in 2020. Sure. Uh, Stanford left tackle Walker little, um, a lot of people – so this one's interesting for me because a lot of people have been gassing him as like just an absolute super stud. Like Bill Connolly's preview of Stanford was like, oh, you're building with KJ Costello and an absolute freak left tackle Walker Little. I mean I think he's good, but I don't think he's shown anything like that so far. I mean he's just – I mean he's a former five-star, so I understand. Right. I think know, it's the potential thing. Like you're yeah. expecting that, you know. Yeah. Um, all right, Arizona, Donovan Lay. Lay, Lay, I believe it. Yeah, sure. Um, so started every game as a true freshman NFL prospect. All right, that seems fair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. Utah, Darren. So I'm going to do tackle. You do guard because we're just reading these basically. Yeah, there's, there's no. Yeah. All right, Utah uh, tackle Darren Paolo. Um, so this will be his fourth year as a starter. So that's a lot. Uh, UW Trey Adams. So Trey Adams, if you remember, uh, got injured at the very beginning. I think it was. Well, no, he was injured, and they didn't know if he was going to be back, and then he just never kind of made it back. Um, so he had a knee injury, 
18 months ago at Arizona State, and it derailed everything in 2018. Um, should be one of the top tackle prospects, I think, for this year's NFL draft. But he, um, you know, the one missing link in that offense was they were dropping one of their offensive tackles, uh, Caleb McGarry, but they basically walked Trey Adams back into the lineup. So it's as if they just returned five starters again. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, a luxury right there for UW. Uh, USC, you put Austin Jackson, uh, former five-star, started all 12 games last year. Um, and then Oregon had its pair of tackles, Calvin Throckmorton and Penny Sewell, um, which no complaints there. I saw them play a bunch last year. Yeah. Penny Sewell especially was really, really good. Um, and then Washington State, Abraham Lucas uh, was second-team All-Pac-12 last year, uh, rated the number 14 OT in the nation and second-best pla- pass-blocking tackle in the country by pro football focus college. Um, so, okay. Yeah. He, that all sounds good to me. He's a big six, seven, three twenty dude. So that's what, you know, that's what you like in those air raids. You want the really tall guys with long arms to, you know, just get in the way a lot. And, uh, you know, got a first round draft pick last season. We'll see if Abraham Lucas can kind of follow that up. Um, we didn't get that many guard submissions. Um, Weird. Yeah. So I, I mean, I included one from USC just because, there weren't that many. I'm like, ah, oh, the guy started 20 games, so I'll put him in there. Um, but it, it's it's a really hard position to evaluate, too, you know, and it's sort of like you need a lot of times in the media, like you need people telling you like, hey, who's good? And we, you know, it helps when you look at pro football focus numbers or, you know, you're watching games like oh, he's not giving up sacks or they, they're running pretty effectively to his side of the ball. But how much is it him or the other guard versus the tackle? So I think it could be tough. But uh, Washington guard uh, Jackson Kirtland. Uh, he went from making his first career start against Auburn last year uh, as a red shirt freshman. He ended up starting the whole season, all 14 games at right guard. And he's a legacy. Um, another big guy, 6'7", 320 pounds. And uh, they project him to be a four-year starter. And he was, the athletic had him as a freshman All-American. So uh, that's cool. Um, I put Andrew Voorhees down here really just because he started 20 games. Um, there's some speculation that he was going to get demoted and stuff too. Um, but you know, I, I feel like he's looked better this off season and I think he's kind of going to get back to what we saw maybe two years ago last year, the USC offensive line just underperformed greatly. Uh, even though you had a guy like a Chuma Doga is the highest, you know, USC guy drafted. I, I feel like all the offensive line are going to play better. And I think a guy like Voorhees with all that experience, he'll be, he'll be pretty good, uh, in the conference. And then, uh, Shane Lemieux from Oregon. Uh, so Lindsay had him as a preseason all American, um, he pro football focus. He was the top rated offensive guard in the PAC 12 last year. So that makes sense. Uh, he only allowed 11 quarterback pressures, uh, and pass blocking from his side of the line. So stuff like that. That's like, okay, that makes sense. Like a Shane Lemieux, you think he's going to be really good. So I guess what we learn here is that Washington and Oregon are probably gonna have really good offensive lines. Yep. Um, all right. And then for center, we got responses from one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, uh, teams. So, yeah, uh, kicking that off. a lot more centers than I guess centers like kind of you can point to like that's the center uh, with guard. I thought there'd be more guards, but I guess there just weren't that many. I don't know. Yeah. Well, UCLA's guard situation is just a little not great and kind of up in the air. So I can't pick any of them in good conscience. And I think that's probably the same for a lot of people. I think it's maybe the position get, that gets figured out the, the, the latest for a lot of teams. But yeah. Anyway, um, Arizona. Center Josh McCauley, former walk-on, played well all season and only getting better. You know, that's not that's not resounding. You know what, right. Jason Shear? That's not resounding. So I'm 
sight unseen, I'm saying Macaulay. Nah, you're out. Um, Utah, Orlando, Umana. We didn't even get a write up here. Come on, right? It's but, but he's a Utah lineman, so I'm going to give him the benefit. Yeah, of so out. he's probably top five. All right, uh, <laughs> Boss Tagaloa. I can speak to this one. Um, he was suspended for the first, I think, three games last year. As soon as he came in, the offense changed and was suddenly better and more stable. Um, and a lot of that was Tagaloa, converted defensive lineman, but really took to offensive line well. Um, so that that one makes sense to me. Um, for ASU, Cole Cabral, uh, number one center prospect eligible for the 2019 NFL draft, according to Mel Kuyper. Um, and he, uh, he, he, you know, I mean, if you look what Eno Benjamin did last year, a lot of that was up front. A lot of that was Cole Cabral. Uh, UW Nick Harris, uh, he was all Pac-12 first team last year. Um, he's started 30 games so far in his Husky career, so obvious. Uh, for Oregon, yet another offensive lineman, Jake Hansen, uh, returns for his senior season as one of the team's strongest pass blockers and hasn't allowed a sack for the past two seasons. Um, and then rounding out the group, Washington State, Fred Maui Goa. Maui Goa. That makes uh, sense. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. good. 26 straight starts coming into this year. Uh, was on the watch list for the Remington Award and Polynesian College Player of the Year. And he was honorable mention last year. So aside from Josh McCauley, which frankly, Jason, do better. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, yeah, I think this is a fine list. Yeah. Uh, you want me to do tight ends then? Uh, tight ends, yeah, we can probably chat about that too, though. But yeah, please. Okay. All right, so we start off uh, probably. The, I remember watching him at the opening. Uh, Colby Parkinson, uh, absolute stud. When I found out he was going to Stanford, I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So um, they don't have a lot of production. A lot of production came back last year for Stanford. A lot of it's gone on offense, but his six seven uh, tight end self is going to be a huge part uh, and a huge target for KJ Costello. Um, and you know, he's a matchup nightmare as, uh, as RJ was writing in here, he had four receiving touchdowns against Oregon state last year. Um, and you know, Caden Smith, he's off to the NFL. So, uh, he should be getting a lot of, uh, a lot of catch, a lot of targets from, uh, KJ. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think he was arguably better than Caden Smith last year. Um, and, you know, it's going to be interesting. I think he was part of that group, but obviously J.J. Arcega-Whiteside was going to get his touches. Caden Smith was going to get his touches. Trent Irwin was going to get his touches. Uh, Parkinson could catch 60 balls this year yeah. um, without too much trouble, um, and he's such a mismatch. I think he's going to have a monster year. Yeah, he's a stud. Um, we have uh, one from Utah, a Cole uh, Fotheringham. Is he, how would you say Fotheringham? Is that what Fotheringham. You Fotheringham. There's no – with a no. Um, so. Yes. He, he's actually Utah's uh, number one tight end now. Uh, he played pretty much part-time last year as a true freshman, so this is a little bit more of a projection. He, uh, San Clemente High School, uh, signed with Utah back in 2016, but went on a mission, so he's a little bit older dude. Um, he started nine games last year, had 17 catches for 190 yards and two touchdowns. And uh, against Oregon, he had five catches for 76 yards and uh, a 40 yarder, which was his career long. So that was his, uh, the, he led the team uh, uh, against Oregon. So is this one more a little bit about projection, but someone that was kind of like the, the part-time starter last year and uh, you know, he'll take over this, this next year, but six, four, 252 pounds. Uh, I think he can do some good things for Utah. Certainly on the all name team. Yeah. Uh, it's a, yeah. It's, it's a good one. And you know, he's got a little experience, you know, he went on a mission. So uh He's a, he's a couple years older than a lot of the guys, so it's not like he's a sophomore, really. 
Yep. Agreed. Uh, Hunter Bryant from uh, Washington. So the top tight end playmaker in the Pac-12, according to our buddy uh, Chris, he said he only played five games last year, but still averaged 22 yards a catch and showcased his skills in the Rose Bowl, a game I was at. So I was there. He actually was good. Um, So the longest catch by a, a Washington pass catcher in 2018 from Jake Browning, 59 yards. It was the longest one, and he caught it. Um, I don't think Jake Browning threw that all in the air. I think a lot of that was the running. <laughs> but, uh, but do you remember much about Hunter Bryant? So, Yeah, no, just a very, very good player. Um, he d- did only play five games last year, so um, didn't really get to showcase everything. But I remember that being talked about in the preseason is that's going to be a, a pretty big blow for Washington because uh, yeah. he was expected to be such a big part of the uh, – receiving core so this year um i mean he could take some catches some real catches away from aaron fuller you know the guy we were projecting earlier um because he's 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 that good yeah uh and then the last one uh from oregon jacob breeland you probably remember him um so he was one of herbert's favorite targets for sure he had 24 catches uh last year but you didn't see anyone listed on the you know from oregon in the receiver group uh i think jacob breeland's gonna be like kind of that main guy until they establish some of the other receivers so uh really good receiver he's solid blocker uh so they so uh you know no 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 question i think he's gonna be one of the best pac-12 uh tight ends yeah and i'd probably go top three here of parkinson number one bryant number two and breeland number three yeah. And then fathering him behind them. Yeah. But I don't think he's in the top three yet because he just hasn't played that much. Cool. Well, that's the offense. Right. Those are the right. uh, what we who our experts think are the best potential players in the Pac-12 uh, for offense. All right. Moving to the defensive side of the ball. Um, all right. So for defensive end, we actually only got four submissions. So kind of gone are the days where, like, there were a ton of defensive ends just eating into the backfield and just killing guys, you know, just full on getting, like, double-digit sacks all the time. Yeah. It's really just – it hasn't been like that for a while. But um, so Cal, Utah, Colorado, and USC all submitted um, guys for this. So interesting. Cal, Utah, and USC always known for their good defenses. Um, Colorado, not so much. But we will see how this plays out. So – Kicking it off with Cal, uh, Luke Biquette, um, six foot two, two hundred ninety five pound DE. So he's more of the uh, bigger, you know, three four defensive end who's also not necessarily knifing into the backfield a ton. But um, he was a big, big tough guy last year. Um, had five sacks, a couple forced fumbles, blocked a kick, um, and you know they. It, it's always interesting in those sorts of schemes that are kind of three, four centric where the outside linebacker is more or less the, the star position for, you know, the defensive end to even get five sacks. So that's, that's a pretty good note for him. Um, but yeah, okay. That makes sense. And uh, any Cal defensive players who want to be in this list, that's fine. Cal's defense is really good. Yeah. I remember him getting a bunch of sacks last year What he had, they wrote that like five or something, but his name comes up. You remember him. Oh, absolutely. Um, and then, Another name everyone will remember is uh, uh, defensive end Bradley Anae for uh, for Utah. Again, any Utah player that wants to be included on this <laughs> list, fine. That's great. Uh, 6'3", 254 pounds. Um, he had seven and a half sacks last year as a junior. Um, I think he started pretty much every game in 2017, pretty much every game last year. Um, so he's going to be a huge 
factor in that defensive line for Utah. I'm expecting a lot of Utah defensive linemen to show up as yeah. we talk about this list because it's a uh, – I think they return basically everybody from last year up front. Um, so that's going to be a super, super stout defensive front. But, um, yeah, this this pick makes sense to me. Is it, It's Bradley and I, right? Did they say an I? Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was I an I. I thought don't it was an I. tell me what to do. I'm not just – I'm not great at these. I just I just kind of remember that one. But yeah, he's yeah, going to sure. be, yeah, he'll be, he's got 17 career sacks and he'll be top 10 in sacks by the end of the year. He led the team in sacks as a sophomore and a junior. Uh, absolute stud. So, um, yeah, he's, no question he's in there. He might be one of the best defensive players. He is one of the best defensive players in the conference. Yep. All right, and then uh, next up uh, from Colorado, Mustafa Johnson, uh, another big defensive end, 6'2", 290, but flashed some real mobility, some real ability to get disruptive in the backfield last year. Had 15.5 tackles for loss, 7.5 sacks, um, and doing that on a defense that was not great. Um, so that's that's pretty good. Um, he transferred in from JC, so that was his first year at Colorado. Um, but the, well, actually they're saying 17 and a half tackles for loss. You know, all these stats sometimes get a little wonky. You know, some sites have it as different numbers, but uh, 17 and a half tackles for loss um, was apparently the most by a Colorado Buffalo in 25 seasons. Dang. Pretty great. Yeah. And then finally, Christian Rector from USC um, has, so he was, he was playing as kind of a, what was it? Like an outside linebacker? Yeah, it was sort of like subbing in for Porter Gustin in like their predator kind of position, but he should be like just a regular defensive end now. And when he wasn't injured, he was usually coming in and being really productive because Porter Gustin was hurt a lot. So I, I just kind of pegging him to have like a real. He's had some really good production, but I think it's going to take it to another level this year. All right, I get the impression there's a lot of three fours going on in the uh, Pac-12 now. Yeah, that, but USC in the spring they sort of looked at it more of like they put down linemen there like a fourth down lineman so it's gonna it might look more like a four two five uh than what they were doing before um curious to see you know what it looks like but i think they're gonna try to have guys on the hand on the ground a little bit more sure all right so that's defensive end nice um let's see we've got uh so i'm gonna do what do we got defensive tackles okay uh leak there's gonna be some tough names in here leaky Fotu. Yeah, I believe that's it. Um, and also Utah has two, uh, two listed here. So I guess I didn't, uh, so John Penasini. Penasini, Yeah. Okay. Uh, so uh, Dan wrote they both should be on the list. They were both all Pac-12 a year ago, and uh, Foto was on the first team, Penasini on the second team. So having two defensive tackles that are you know named to the uh, all Pac-12 team from last year instantly is going to put you in the top five. So that that makes sense to me. Any no no questions there, right? Absolutely not. And they were among so again. Go back to we were just talking about all the good running backs in the league. Utah had one of the best uh, rush defenses in the country last year, and doing against that slate of running backs that's that's impressive. Yeah. And a lot of it is these guys up front. They are both huge. I think they're both like three twenty plus. Like there, this is that is a stout defensive front. That defensive front is going to be among the best in the country this year. Yeah. And I, I think um, Kyle Whittingham has come out and said that. So uh, for sure, something to watch. They're, they're going to be the favorites in the Pac-12 South for a reason. Uh, for Washington, uh, Levi Onwuzuriki, I think is how you say it. Um, sure. 
He played 26 games the last two seasons and uh, the leading returning defensive lineman for Washington. Uh, they did Huskies did lose four defensive linemen to graduation and retirement last year, but he's going to be uh, the kind of stud coming back for Washington. So 26 games under your belt. I, I think he'll do all right. And uh, great name. Onwuzariki. I, I hope that's how you pronounce it, but it's, it's a cool looking name. Yeah, I uh, agree. I like it. Uh, any thoughts of him or do you remember much about him? Not to, Nothing's really sticking out for me because Washington had a bunch of studs on the defensive line. Yeah, I mean, he's the basically the one returner, so that's, that's you know, good. Yeah. Um, but no, nothing really. I mean, interior defensive linemen, it's hard to have, like, really fond memories of them. Yeah. For USC, I think I, I could have picked a few different guys. Uh, we, you know, Christian Rector, I think, is going to have a big year. I put Jay Tefele on this list. Uh, he's a former five-star. Played in all 12 games uh, last year. Uh, 23 tackles with uh, four and a half for loss. Um, three sacks. He blocked a field goal and uh, returned it for a t- and returned a fumble recovery for a touchdown. So he had a pretty big year. But I think the the defensive front's going to be a little bit deeper. I think they're going to rotate a little more, and it's going to free up guys like Jay Tufeli just come in and and wreak a little bit more havoc. So I I kind of f- think he's going to have a really good year this year. He's I mean when you see him out there, it's like yeah that guy looks like a player. Um, so I'm curious to see what he does. Uh, from Oregon, Jordan Scott. Uh, so. Uh, he started in the last 24 games for Oregon at at nose tackle. Uh, been an essential part of Oregon's run defense and uh, just really kind of stuffing things up. Uh, the middle, uh, big on fourth and shorts. Uh, he's had multiple stops there, including one during the upset, Oregon's upset over Washington in 2018. So if you remember that, uh, Jordan Scott, I think it's going to be, you know, real solid for, for the Ducks there. And then uh, from Washington State, uh, Lamonte McDougal. Uh, Talk about another great name. Yeah. Is it is it Lamont or Lamonte? What do you think? I don't know. Maybe Lamonte. Whatever he feels best. Whatever. He's like, ah, yeah, this is your your group. You just figured. <laughs> Dude, I got my own challenges ahead of me. I'm 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 sitting pretty right Probably now. Probably <laughs> uh, So he's a sophomore uh, nose tackle. He actually redshirted uh, last year and transferred in from West Virginia. So this is more of a kind of projection, but he was a freshman All-American uh, from ESPN in 2017 at West Virginia. So um, they said uh, he had a great spring up on the Palouse. So uh, Lamont McDougal, welcome to the Pac-12, and uh, we'll see how you do. All right. Outside linebacker, uh, we have four submissions from Washington, Stanford, ASU, and Washington State. So not a huge year for outside linebacker. Um, starting off, Washington, Joe Tryon uh, was was great at the end of last year. Um, he's a big dude, big athletic dude, 6'5", 266, uh, tons of athleticism. Um, he, he, I mean, he might be the guy that we were just talking about who gets double-digit sacks this year. Um, certainly, certainly a possibility. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, certainly by that one, uh, Stanford, uh, Casey Tuhill, a uh, fifth year guy. Um, though it's never easy to tell with Stanford. Sometimes it looks like they're fifth years, but they actually are like in their third year, but they're listed as a senior because <laughs> Stanford's bizarre. Um, but he just needs to stay healthy. Uh, if he can stay healthy, then he has a chance to be very, very good this year. Um, ASU Merlin Robinson Robertson, um, was, one of the best true freshmen in the league last year. Um, future super bright for him. Uh, he led ASU in tackles last year as a true freshman. Uh, almost certainly going to be one of the top tacklers in the league next year as a sophomore. Um, and very easily could be uh, first team 
all Pac-12 yeah. type guy as a sophomore. So I I think, you know, the sky's the limit for him as a player. He likes tackling people, you know. He loves tackling people. <laughs> he's, he's magic. You see what I did there? I did. Very his name good. is Merlin, the wizard uh, in King we, Arthur we stories. You, you, you understood? Yes. Okay, cool, yeah. cool, cool. Um, Washington <laughs> State, uh, Jihad Woods, uh, two-year starter, um, was all Pac-12 honorable mention last year. Um you kind of did everything for him last year, uh, forced four fumbles, four and a half tackles for loss, recovered two fumbles, picked off a pass, um, was defensive player of the week, uh, at least once in each of the last two seasons and, uh, was the highest graded linebacker in coverage from a season ago per pro football focus college. So, um, good coverage guy at linebacker. Yeah. Nice. Uh, the, the Joe Tryon one is interesting because you're talking about a, 266 pound linebacker like it's pretty good six five i mean he's huge so that's that's pure three four like i'm actually a defensive end but call me a linebacker right. please yeah but you like you said maybe double digit sacks for him so yeah interesting um, he had one he had one sack last year so maybe maybe a bold maybe a bold take by our man fetters we'll see yeah i mean it yeah we'll see i i think there's a potential there you got that kind of size and athleticism and stuff uh, a few more inside linebackers were, uh, and I think it's easier because you're not sure sometimes, you know, the, are you going to put the Joe Tryon? No, the, you have to project a little bit because there's so much turnover every year. Yeah. Uh, but there's some good guys coming back uh, in conference. So this one's a little questionable. I'm going to start off, our, you know, from Cal. Uh, you know, if you want to look at production, I don't think Evan Weaver really had it. Only 159 tackles last year. So that's, you know, Maybe top 10. I don't know about top five, Dave. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. 159 tackles last year. Like what? Like that's insane. Um, So like from, from Cal's defense, which is, you know, highly regarded, most likely to garner some national attention just because of his stats. So yeah, huge numbers from uh, Evan Weaver. Uh, Scooby Wright. It's fun to say. It's fun to watch him play. Uh, I just made that up. So great numbers last year. One of the best guys in the conference. You guys, Wait, we, we've Scooby, talked about Scooby him. Wright. Is Scooby Wright even in the league anymore? Is he not in the league? Scooby Wright's with the Arizona Cardinals. Did he? Did they? Scooby Wright. Scooby Wright graduated several years ago. Why did he put this down here? I, I'm I'm almost certain he's conflating Colin Schooler and Scooby Wright. Holy crap! <laughs> almost certain. That's awesome. He's definitely doing that. All right, so Collins. So it's kind of the same thing, and maybe it, maybe it's a misunderstood joke. I don't know. Uh, Colin Schooler had almost 120 tackles last year, 21 and a half tackles for loss, and three and a half sacks. So I think he did the def- same thing I did in my head. He, it's, it's like the he same definitely guy. Meant, yeah, he definitely meant Colin Schooler. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so cool. You did it in my head too. I'm like, yeah, wait, it's gonna be right. Okay. Um, but it's fun to say Scooby, right? It is. It's a lot of fun. What are, what are the size? I want to compare them because they like the same guy. Colin Scooby. Like, so Scooby was 6'1", 246. Schooler is 6'0", 236. Yeah, they were similar. But um, yeah. you kind of felt like one just kind of took over for the other. But the fact that your brain can just like, oh, that's a, that, I know that guy. I know that inside linebacker from Arizona. He just like create, you know, creates havoc, you know, Tackles a lot of people and you just know who he is. Uh, that's awesome that he mixed those two names up. We're going to have to bring that up. Uh, tweet him. Tweet Jason Shear and say, hey, Jason, 
Uh, you put the wrong guy down there. Um, Utah, inside linebacker, uh, Manny Bowen. So he transferred from Penn State. Had looked good in the spring. And, uh, you know, our buddy Dan said it might be a little bit of a stretch. But, um, you know, we'll see. Watch the transfer coming in. You know, he's got that potential. I don't recall much of what he did at Penn State. But um, the fact they look good in the spring at Utah, that'll be, you know, add to their already impressive defense. Yeah. I mean, obviously a stretch. I have no idea what he looked like at yeah. Penn State. But fine. So for UCLA, uh, Chris Barnes. Um, so he's a senior middle linebacker and uh, second on the team in tackles last year with with eighty five, which seems a little low, I guess. Um, UCLA didn't do a whole lot of tackles. <laughs> so he was one of only four defenders in the Pac twelve with double digit tackles for a loss uh, for the season. So that's impressive. So when he did get a tackle, it usually was for a loss. But um, what are your thoughts on Chris Barnes? I wouldn't have included him. Okay. Um, I, I think he could get there, but it's a projection thing. I don't think off performance right now that he's uh, he would be a top five guy at inside linebacker. Yeah. Uh, Col- you know, you talked about Colorado maybe not having the most impressive defense. We know the name uh, Nate Landman, and you should too. Uh, so 123 tackles, 27 more than any other Colorado defender last year. So he was fourth in the conference uh, in tackles for a loss in 2018. They call him the hammer. So one of the most physical and productive linebackers in program history, according to Adam Munster tiger, but he's someone we, we, I remember talking about. Do you remember? Absolutely. I remember yeah. talking about Nate Landman, yeah. the hammer. Uh, the, I don't remember the hammer part, but I do remember talking about him. I, I just want you to pronounce this USC player's name again, because I love that there's an N in it. Yeah. Despite the fact that there's no N in it. So I went to the Polynesian bowl, uh, I guess it was two years ago. So it's Hawaii, you know, tough, tough uh, ask. You should go, this year, Dave, in January, you should come out and cover the UCLA guys. Um, but I was did a video stand-up interview with him, and I, I had to like say his name like five times during the interview. So I'm not going to forget it now. But when this, you know, what a, a 6'4", 250-pound guy is telling you what to do, you you kind of listen. But it's Palaie Naoteote, but there's no N. It's G A O T E O T E. But he says Naoteote, so that's how he says it. Um, I don't know why he only started five games last year. 38 tackles, four and a half for loss. Um, he had two sacks, uh, one against Notre Dame and one against Utah when he was actually in there. So he moved from middle to will. Um, he, one time they didn't start him. They started like a walk on Ruben Peters, who was a former walk on fullback ahead of him, which I don't understand. But he should be like full time starting will linebacker now. I think he's not going to have some of the assignments that he would have had as a middle linebacker calling the defenses. And he's just like a tackling machine. So I think you're going to see a guy that had like 38 tackles this year, go to like 110 or something uh, by the end of the year. He's, he's a stud, former five star from Bishop Gorman. All right. And we got Troy die from Oregon. Um, so in the last three seasons, he's led the ducks and tackles. That seems pretty good. Uh, so he was the MVP for the defense for the last two seasons. He should be one of the top tacklers in all of college football. He's third among FBS players FBS players with 313 career tackles. So I don't think any question there either. Yep, I agree with that. All right, uh, cornerback I think is a semi-loaded position for um, the Pac-12. I think it's uh, quite a few players who are eventually going to be um, or at least three players, I think, who are eventually going to be, um, you know, maybe first or second round NFL draft picks. Um, starting off, uh, Cal, uh, cornerback Cameron Bynum, 
Um, he was the top corner last year, um, broke up 10 passes last season and intercepted two. Um, and for him to be the top corner on a team that where defensive backs are probably the strength of that defense, that's pretty good. So, yeah, um, pretty cool. Um, Stanford, Paulson Adebo, uh, who's got a great name, just a great name. Um, he kind of emerged last year and suddenly looked like one of the best cornerbacks in the country. Um, absolute stud could be, you know, a, a first team type guy, um, in the conference this year, potentially challenged for all American honors, depending on, you know, I think probably Stanford's performance overall, um, Arizona, one, uh, one, one real thing, quick thing on Adebo. I think, uh, I think RJ Abadia tweets about him quite a bit. So I think you see, you, you see him on your Twitter feed a lot because he makes yes, plays a lot. Yeah, definitely. It's a good name. It's a good name yeah. to write. It's a good name to say. It's a good name to think about. Um, Arizona, uh, cornerback Jace Whitaker, uh, he was injured all of last year, uh, but so yeah, but, um, as good as anybody when he was healthy, um, two years ago, obviously very good. Uh, Utah, uh, who has maybe the, probably my number one guy in the league, Jalen Johnson, um, was, I, I, I think I agree with Dan here, best player on Utah's entire roster. Um, was amazing this spring and uh, could very well be the first cornerback taken in next year's draft from the Pac-12. Was he a Fresno guy? Was he? F- I want to say yes. I'll look him up real quick, but I thought he was from Fresno. Yeah, I think he was. Um, and then uh, UCLA, uh, Darnay Holmes. Uh, he's steadily improved. He's a kind of a rare five-star type player who's, well, not rare, for UCLA, a rare five-star type player who also combines it with like a really, really, really great work ethic. He's got all the athletic tools, but he also just works really, really hard at his craft. Um, and he's gotten better every single year. He started off as a somewhat inconsistent freshman, but then last year he really put it all together as a sophomore. And people are expecting him to be a pure lockdown guy this year. He has all the physical talent in the world. Um, uh, really athletic, really fast, really explosive. Um, he had, he led UCLA with three interceptions, a couple forced fumbles, 12 passes defended last year, um, and was honorable mention. Uh, he too will probably be at, a NFL draft pick after this season, uh, probably in first couple rounds. Yeah. Um, and then for UW, Keith Taylor, uh, he's a six, two guy, um, was, is a very rangy type corner. Um, so, you know, it kind of looks a little bit like, um, uh, uh, Kevin King, uh, UW's, uh, last corner they put in the league um and uh you know he's he's got a rep for being a little bit more aggressive than king was um and should be kind of their lockdown guy this year so it'll be interesting to see how he fits in that mold but right now i think adebo johnson and holmes i think that's a really 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 good top three for uh for the league yeah i really good and uh johnson is from fresno i think it was central yeah. high school but he's from fresno there oh and sorry we missed one um because it was below the fold um uh, uh, Elijah Molden for UW. Um, he's played in all 27 games since coming uh, to Washington in 2017 and can play corner as well as nickel. Um, I think he's just played a ton of nickel so far. Yeah. Nice. All right. Uh, I mean, again, you're, you're, you're going to put two corners from Washington. You're probably not going to argue with that. No. That's why they're going to be good. You know, <laughs> uh, a lot of good um, Utah players, you know, on defense, especially this, uh, what I would say with Washington though, is they are replacing basically everybody in their secondary. So these are guys fitting into roles that they didn't have last year. Yeah. So there could be growing pains. Yeah. But there's the talents there. So I think that's why people project them to be as good as they're going to be. Um, 
We got a bunch of safeties. Let's see. We'll start uh, two from Cal. So it's Ashton Davis and uh, Jalen Hawkins. So um, he had uh, 56. Davis had 56 tackles last year, six pass breakups and four interceptions. So uh, he kind of did a little bit of everything. Hawkins is more of the ball hawk guy. He had six interceptions last year. So a couple of really good safeties uh, for Cal. Obviously, you know, the Cal defense was... uh, Studley last year, another Utah guy, uh, Julian Blackman. So he was a second teamer for All Pac-12 last year at corner, um, playing sa- uh, playing safety now. So uh, and and Dan thinks he's the second best player on Utah's roster. So to have Blackman and uh, Johnson, and then but you're talking like like a Bradley and I, like he's an absolute stud. So I mean, there's there's a lot of good guys to choose from uh, on that Utah Z- defense. Uh, for Arizona State, uh, safety, Astari uh, Crosswell. Uh, so he was honorable mention last year for the All-Pac-12 uh, as a true freshman, though. So, you know, kind of makes sense. Another true freshman stud on the ASU defense. So he had four interceptions last year, uh, led the, the that led the Sun Devils, and uh, a lot of just people picture, you know, think he's going to be an elite player at ASU and uh, NFL prospect for sure. Um, for Washington, now the – we, you could have threw this in as a corner, but this is more of a nickelback, Miles Bryant. So he walked on. Uh, so he waited too long on his initial scholarship offer. Then ended up walking on, but he earned it back because he played so well. Uh, he's played in 37 games so far at Washington. So um, kind of move him around. It, I don't remember. Was he nickel last year also, or did he move him? I don't remember. I think he was mostly nickel last yeah. year. Yeah. Um, for USC, I put down Talanoa Hufunga. He's a former five-star from uh, Corvallis. Uh, another stud from last year. Ended up breaking his collarbone and uh, missed the last part of the season and broke it again uh, in the spring. But just he's going to be a leader for this USC secondary as long as he's, you know, he's healthy. He only had five starts last year, but he had 51 tackles, three and a half for loss, and uh, deflected four passes. So when he was out there, you just knew – that was a dude, you know, um, so watch for number 15 uh, as long as he's healthy. And he we've seen him out at the summer workouts and he looks good. So uh, should be OK by the time the, the season starts. And then Washington State, we haven't mentioned a ton of defensive guys. Jalen Thompson. So he started every game of his college career, 39 games. He's a senior, obviously. Uh, he had some form of all Pac-12 recognition over the last two years. Um, he was a true freshman All-American from ESPN back in 2016 and uh, named to the Bednarik Award watch list for 2018. Uh, he has 191 career tackles. So, uh, you know, no problem including him in there either. Sure. All right, and then in special teams, which I really don't want to read, but just to complete this little exercise I'm going to, um, I'm really selling it, aren't I? Yeah, yeah. We'll just go through them quickly. Just I tried to – I don't know if I organized them correctly. Maybe I didn't. Um, no, you organized them very poorly. I did uh, the other I would... ones. I, I'm sorry I did everything else, David. <laughs> You, you organize them like piss. Um, I'll start with kick returners. Um, Cal, Ashton Davis, um, averaged 26 yards per return, had a 89-yard touchdown last year. Arizona, J.J. Taylor, Utah, Britton Covey, um, and Washington State, Travell Harris. He was honorable when that mentioned last year as a kick returner, averaging 27.6 yards per return um, and also having a, a touchdown. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, kicker uh jet toner for stanford great name great kicker yep um super reliable uh jj molson for ucla another guy who's made strides every year could be uh 
you know, he could be a contender for um, awards this year as what's the kicker one? Lou Groza. Yeah, he could he could contend for Lou Groza yeah. this year. Uh, ASU, uh, Brandon Ruiz. Um, he was uh, perfect on PATs last year, 18 of 22 on field goals. Um, if I know the name, if I know the kicker's name, he's probably pretty good. And like, I've known all these, I know all these names. So, you know, that's good. Yeah. All right. And then, uh, Utah punter. I know you're shocked to see a, a Utah specialist mm. included here. Ben Lennon. Uh, I'm going to read Dan's thing word for word. Cause it's kind of funny. Uh, he's in his first year coming from Utah uh, from Australia. So it's understandable if he's left off, but he looked good in the spring and every Aussie Utah has ever had has won the Ray guy award. <laughs> uh, so, there's that. <laughs> uh, for Colorado, Alex Kinney, uh, during the final five weeks of the 2017 season, no punter in the country had a better yards per punt average than Kinney. What a stat. What yeah. a stat. Um, he was primed for a run at the Ray Guy Award last year, but was sidelined with a broken collarbone in week two. Um, so he registered last year, back this year. Uh, for USC, you wrote Ben Griffiths. He hasn't played a game, but he has to be one of the best in the conference. He's another Australian. I mean, watching him in the spring, like he just does things you're like, I don't know if I've ever seen a guy punt like that before. So he's 27 years old. He was, uh, he played, I think, seven or eight years of Australian rules football and retired because he had some concussions. But big kid, he just absolutely crushes the ball. So if he's not one of the best in the conference, I don't know what the, I don't know what I'm doing, but he's, he's really good. UCLA has a 31-year-old Aussie as their uh, punter now. Nice. Yeah. Um, and then for Washington State, now I'm just going to take a minute. Um, Oscar Draguisevich. I, I I think that's really well done from what I'm looking at that name. So, But I'm not good at these, so I don't know. Okay. Draguisevich. Um, he averaged 45.7 yards per boot last year. Second best in the Pac-12. Number seven in the nation. Honorable mention all Pac-12. 13 punts of 50 yards or more. Fine. Great. We're done. Yeah. He, uh, I mean, he's got actual production. Um, yeah. USC had a, a different Australian punter the first time they tried. I think it was the first time Chris Tilby. And he was like, I don't know. He looked like a dude. It's just like a regular guy. He didn't look like anything special. And this dude comes in and you're like, okay, he's, he's good. So, but Utah's got that run. Every, any Australian they get wins the Ray guy award. We'll see if they can continue that streak. All right. Questions? Yeah, let's get to. Uh, do you want me to start with Bernie? I can start with Bernie. It's okay. fine. Uh, hey guys, here's my questions for Ryan. Uh, in listening to your latest Tunnel Vision podcast, you and Dan Weber spent the first 34 minutes uh, discussing the potential return of Brew McCoy. Then on the Family Feud podcast, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling also spent a good portion of their podcast doing the same. This leads me to the question according to Dan Weber and your other host, USC will out, quote, out talent any team they face this year. Why is the return of this one player such a major topic of discussion? Um, I think USC's roster will be as talented or, you know, at least as talented as just about everyone on the the schedule, except for maybe Notre Dame. We'll see about Washington, uh, you know, potentially Utah, but I think still more than than Utah. Um, but it was a big deal because he was the highest ranked player in their, on their board and enrolled at USC and then left. So we've never seen anything like that before. And then for him to come back, I think it was a really uh, big deal. They just needed some kind of positive momentum uh, going forward. So it's, it's there was this, this, we haven't seen anything like that happen before. So to get him and then to get Chris Steele uh, was a big deal. You're, you're talking about the conference. Like, I think the conference didn't, I forget what the, the, it was like, those are two of the top, you know, 
five players or whatever in California that had left the conference and now they're they're back in. So I think it's a big deal for USC, but also for the conference, getting some of that talent to, to come back home. Uh, and then for Dave, in your latest podcast, uh, Improving Football Depth and Mick Cronin, you and Tracy discussed UCLA's football record for the upcoming season. Tracy picked UCLA to beat USC, but wondered if UCLA fans would prefer a loss if it meant the retention of Clay Helton. In your opinion, Dave, does Clay Helton's coaching ability really negate USC from reaching its full potential? Thanks, guys, from Bernie. Obviously. <laughs> You're, I thought you liked Clay Helton a lot. I love him, but no, I mean, obviously, uh, he's, he's, a, he's a detriment. I, did, I, I don't think uh, there's a single UCLA fan in the world who would prefer a loss if it meant the retention of Clay Helton. That's, I, uh, I, I mean, he's not like... Uh, He's going to get fired at some point. It's either this year or next year or the year after. But like, it's going to happen because he's a bad coach and he's going to like severely limit their potential. There isn't a scenario. like That's like asking, hey, UCLA fans, would you take 25 straight years of losses for, for UCLA and the rivalry if it meant Clay Helton just went 5-7 and seven every year? Well, no. Because <laughs> you're, you're rooting for your team, not against another team, right? Yeah, makes sense. So anyway, but no, obviously he's a bad coach, and that's why uh, USC was able to go five and seven last year, despite having the most talented roster in the league. All right. Well, thanks, Bernie. All right. Uh, next up, John Flem, uh, subject line: Washington is twelve and one or thirteen and zero. David and Ryan, curiously, while your game by game picks make sense to me, and I fully agree with your projection of Washington repeating as this year's Pac-12 championship, when I step back and look at champion. When I step back and look at the aggregate of all games, I am very skeptical that Washington can or will finish with the 12-1 and or better record that you have predicted. Pure math and statistics confirm that Washington and Utah have been the best two programs over the past two years, and this probably will be true this year as well. But there is nothing at this point which suggests, suggests to me that Washington will have the type of superstar quarterback that is needed to go 12-1 and or 13-0 and and compete for a national title. All jokes aside, Jake Browning was a very good and competent quarterback, but he was not the type of superstar quarterback that is needed to seriously compete for a national title. On the other hand, if Washington had such a quarterback in 2016, my sense is that it might have beaten Alabama and even gone all the way. But it did not have such a quarterback and therefore was doomed from the outset. I made the same prediction with with respect to last year's Rose Bowl and correctly predicted that Jake Browning, while an excellent and journeyman college quarterback, since simply did not have the superstar talent that was necessary to defeat the Buckeyes. Questions. One, do you agree with my conclusion about the necessity of a superstar quarterback? Will Washington or any Pac-12 team ever win a national title without one? Uh, uh, I, I think you need a superstar quarterback, and Jake Browning wasn't that, but Jacob Eason could be, you know, so I mean, it's not like, I think you you have a lot of superstar quarterbacks in the conference. I don't think it's like a lack of that. That's just that was just a weird Washington make this great run with just like a you know a, a nice quarterback and not a stud quarterback. Yeah, I think um, any I think the only teams that can get by without having a superstar quarterback and win a title are like Bama, where everyone else on the team is a superstar and they yeah. can get by with like an AJ McCarron or whoever. Um, but other than that, no, you need to have a, an absolute stud, especially if you're in the Pac-12, yeah. where it's quarterback play is inherently the competitive advantage that Pac-12 teams might have. So go have a good one. Yeah. Um, t- 
two, if so, what makes you think that Jacob Eason can perform at the necessary level? Um, he's got the pedigree, former five-star, um, started at Georgia and was and was good in that first year, has all the arm talent you need to do it. Um, just a higher-level prospect, but no, it's projection. Yeah. Um, we haven't seen him perform at that level, so we don't know yet, but projecting ahead, yeah, I think he could do it. Yeah, I agree. And then three, as I've stated, I agree that Washington must be picked as the preseason favorite to win the Pac-12. But do you want to rethink your projections of Washington finishing 12-1 or 13-0? In light of my questions about the need for a superstar quarterback, I'd like to hear you defend your win-loss projections for Washington. I mean, literally, we just did that on the show. We just went through and picked games and like, you know, yeah. It's literally done. We did that. Um, And I mean, obviously, we were considering that when we were making our picks. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you look at those, there's probably a game in there that you think they're going to be the favorite to win, but they lose because you're like a 70% favorite and a 65% favorite and an 80% favorite. But, you know, you put four of those together and odds are you're going to lose one of those games, even though you're a favorite in every one. Um, that's just how it works. But I and just the way the schedule laid out, I just look to me that they have a really good chance to to go undefeated. So I don't know, maybe they lose four games, but that's, that's just what we picked. I, I, don't, I don't think we have to defend it. It's just like, yeah, it's preseason. You know, it's June. We're that we just pick games. Yeah, Colorado hater Ryan. Uh oh, oh boy, Joe Endeavor doesn't like me. Hey there, guys. I've been listening to the podcast for a couple of years now, and I had no idea Ryan was a closet Colorado hater. Uh, last show was devastating, Ryan, but I'm glad the truth is out. Oh and nine, <laughs> let's play. Maybe we should have picked all these games. The Buffs have been pretty terrible the last two years, and still managed to win a couple conference games each year. The Buffs return a decent amount of talent, Montez, Chenault, but apparently the USC portion of the podcast disagrees. In all honesty, I see the Buffs only winning one or two conference games, but the zero prediction felt personal. It was certainly not personal. Uh, anyway, here's my question, Ryan. It was Ryan. personal. He, he told me beforehand. I'm like, this Joe guy in Denver, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rock his world right now. Yeah. Uh, what the, my question, what did Mel Tucker do to you? Keep up the great work as always, Dave, Joe in Denver. Hell yeah. That's right, Joe. Um, I, I'm always one when you talk about like where you want to go watch a game, like I'm always the one that mentioned Boulder and I love Ralphie and all that stuff. But again, we're just picking the games and I think Bill Tucker is going to work out well, but I'm not sure what, I just don't think the team's going to look all that good, uh, this year. And we love Chanel. We talk about him all the time. You know, we put, we, we had no problem putting Steven Montez in our top five quarterbacks and stuff, but you also had no problem picking Colorado own nine. I also didn't do that, you know. These are the facts, and they are undisputed. Right. So it wasn't personal. It was just like, hey, you want to try to pick games? Try to pick all the games and, and you know, tell me who you think you're going to win. Like, odds are Colorado's going to win one or two conference games. But it's just you got to put your name down on one of them and say, I think they're going to beat blah, blah, blah. And I, Dave, who did you predict they beat? They were going to beat somebody pretty good, I think you said. I don't remember. I think it was Stanford. Right. Yeah, it was like Stanford. Like, okay. Like, I'm not going to go on the, you know, that's the only day. When Dave picked for Colorado, like, do you really? Yeah, well, that's you have no moral courage, is what you're saying. <laughs> Joe, would you put money that Colorado would beat Stanford next year? Like, I wouldn't in June, so that's why I didn't. Sorry, yeah. but it's not personal, Joe. I mean, maybe for you, I don't like you, but I like Colorado in general. Be bold. Be bold. <laughs> Just kidding, All Joe. Right. We love you. Thanks for listening. This is from Oliver. Hotter takes. Criminal justice experts, keep up the great off-season work. I think I speak for the majority when I say that the random topics is part of what keeps me listening. The zanier, the better, in my opinion. 
Uh, cool. I wrote in a few weeks ago with some hot takes, but they didn't seem spicy enough for your liking. I'm back for more. <laughs> One, if Sonny Dykes had been in charge of the offense last year and assuming no cultural issues from the demotion, Cal would have won the Pac-12 last year. So you're saying put an offense with that defense and they would But win. this would violate the corollary, right. which is Cal shouldn't offense. Right. Don't offense Cal. But you, So what Oliver is saying is what if you offensed? What if you offense with a different structure? Yeah. Okay. It's Look, almost like they have to practice a different. But I, I, I'm just leery of anything where Cal has to offense. Yeah. They would have to practice on different buildings, like wear different uniforms. Like it would, the defense would have to be just one separate thing and the offense another. And they just don't, they, they can't mix. Yeah. We'd have to segregate the Cal locker room. And this it, might be a little too work. hot for me. I'm going to be honest. Okay. It's, it's it's asking them to play offense, and I just don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> All right. Two, uh, Utah has easily the best near-term outlook in the Pac-12. The North is going to be extremely tough with Washington, Oregon, and to a lesser degree, Stanford, Washington State, and Cal battling it out. Meanwhile, the South is wide open. Utah is easily the best coach in their division, and the traditional powerhouses are such a mess that it will likely take at least a couple of years to reset. That's not a hot take. Yeah, I don't think it's very hot. Oliver, Oliver, this isn't a hot take. This is just pure. I mean, and I want to credit you. You have good rational opinions, but they are not hot takes. <laughs> that is a very good, well-thought-out rational opinion that I think anyone with the facts and your acumen would understand to be true. I, this is not a hot take. Yeah. I mean, the only uh, issue is you, at USC, they got all this talent. You could They could put it together. UCLA, you got Chip Kelly. Like, whoa, they just they start getting really good. Like there's, there's potential there, but right now there's a lull and Utah is well, just positioned very well to completely take advantage of it. Yep. All right. And then number three, USC is firmly entrenched in the Tyson zone. The Tyson zone for the uneducated is something Bill Simmons came up with probably 15 years ago in relation to Mike, Mike Tyson and was based on the idea that someone or something's reputation had become so bizarre that you could make up almost any headline about them and it wouldn't be dismissed out of hand. A few semi-plausible USC headlines I came up with include uh, Clay Helton fired after listless 24-point loss at Colorado. Johnny Nansen named interim head coach. I, I would buy that. And that Joe in Denver, you would love that one. Yeah. Uh, Lynn Swan schedules 2023 and 2026 games at Temple to coincide with major memorabilia show in Philadelphia. <laughs> now, they just talked about they're not going to be scheduling like away games like that, but Lintzwan might be able to talk him into it as long as the, the, you know, if it was a pretty high fee for the memorabilia stuff. So plausible. Will Farrell named new USC athletic director. Highly plausible. Yes. Brew McCoy intends to transfer to Notre Dame at the end of fall camp 2019. Would not put it past. Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's pretty good. It's uh, this. Yeah, this is great. The Tyson zone you really have covering the team. You just can't be shocked by about anything. So I didn't know what the Tyson zone was, so I would put me in the uneducated uh, group. Uh, I don't really listen to Bill Simmons podcast or anything, but yeah, th that's uh, I think completely like you, there'd be hard to come up with something that you're like, Oh really? Okay. Um, you know, would you think, you, you know, two different federal investigations and FBI, you know, arresting multiple people with two different sports in the athletic department. And, you know, one of the, yeah, it's just, it's, it doesn't make any sense. There's all this crazy stuff going on. So you, all of it's believable. The only one that's not believable is Clay Helton retires as USC head coach. Yes. After winning like a couple national championships. Yeah. 
Uh, P.S. Why don't you guys have Bruce Feldman onto the podcast? He's a great guest, and from the sounds of it, Ryan hangs out with him all the time. Does he just hate Dave or something? He very much does not like Dave. Um, Nobody does. No. Uh, we've had him on. We had him on at Pac-12 uh, Media Day. Yeah. When we ago. were. It was a couple years back. That was four we, we years could, ago. Yeah. What am I talking about? That was four years ago. Was it really? That was four years ago. Holy crap. Well, I was there. Uh, Oliver, go back and listen to that show from four years ago. <laughs> uh, no, we could have him on. Like we, you know, we kind of str- we we try to do guests, but it seems to just work. Like kind of when we do our thing. Um, but yeah, we could have him on for sure. Like maybe, you know, for something packed off media day or something like that. But yeah, he's 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 friend. He likes he likes Dave. So uh, he's uh, he's a friend, and I think he would come on whenever we wanted him. Cool. Yeah. Uh, this is Game of Thrones. From Frank in Sacramento. Hey, Ryan. Tell Dave I just binged watched the whole Game of Thrones. I loved it. There were no unanswered storylines, no loose ends, and no complaints watching the whole eight years in one month. Holy crap. My life is better having been very entertained by the show. Frank in Sacramento. I don't think he's being sarcastic. I don't think he was watching closely. Um. (laughs) So maybe, or maybe he, but I'm glad, I'm glad Frank enjoyed it. I'm glad, I'm glad I'm happy for Frank. That's a lot to, that's a lot in one month, man. Yeah. Um, a lot of watching game of Thrones. That's what is that? That is 60 episodes plus another, that's 73 hours plus of television. Yeah. That's a lot to watch. That's like, that's, that's three full days of that month. We're spent watching game of Thrones. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot. Crazy. Yeah, it's like if you had a full-time job for like about two weeks, like that's what you'd have to do. Yep. All right, this is from uh, Spencer. Washington State quarterback competition. Hi, guys. Scott from... Oh, well, it's Scott. Sorry. Um, Hi, guys. Scott from Seattle. I'm a diehard Coug fan, and nothing interests me more than the latest QB competition in Pullman for this upcoming season. Many analysts seem to believe that Gage Gabrud... I'm going to say that. I don't care. Uh, Eastern Washington grad transfer will inherit the job. However, after watching the spring game, I was blown away by redshirt senior Anthony Gordon, whom Mike Leach said got beat out by an eyelash last year. He is tall, mobile, and has a cannon sidearm. Was just wondering if you guys have any takes on who will get to take over Leach's offense, sling the ball to our underrated wide receiver core, and lead the nation in yards by default. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those are two names that we've heard. Um, I, I forget. We had... We had um, I don't think he's actually with the uh, kook fan anymore, but cause I emailed him. Was it Jeremy? Somebody we had on, I think he's with one of the newspapers or something now. Cause I, I reached out to him again for this. Um, but I think he was pretty high on Anthony Gordon, right? Like, and like you said, like, you know, I don't know if he got beat out by an eyelash last year, but having a, a red shirt senior, uh, you know, you know, Leach likes guys that have been around the system. Uh, last year, it was kind of a shock where you have a new guy come in and just was able to go like gangbusters. But a lot of times he does like to, you know, the former walk-on who's been around for four years uh, seems to do pretty well uh, with Mike Leach. But, you know, Gardner Minshew last year just transfers in and, and crushes it. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, I think they're going to announce it sometime in the fall. But those are the two names I've heard the most. I don't, what about you, Dave? Uh, yeah, I think it would be different if Gabrud had been healthy um, in spring. Um, but I think it is kind of just up in the air now because he wasn't and haven't seen him um in that offense yet. Um, I think he provides an element that nobody else in that roster really does, which is some mobility. Um, and I thought they saw last year, 
Not a guy who can run necessarily for a ton of first downs, but what a little bit of mobility, which is what Gardner Minshew gave them, uh, can do to that offense. Um, So I think he might have a leg up just because I think Leach might be intrigued by what that looked like. Um, So I'd be I'm interested to hear the reports coming out of the first few days of fall camp to see who's taking the the lead. Um, But. I don't think there's going to be a huge drop-off. I think that's probably my fearless prediction for Washington State. And not even just, obviously, a Washington State quarterback is always going to put up stats. But Minshew was clearly better than Luke Falk was um, the previous year. Um, And I don't think it's going to drop back to Luke Falk senior year levels. I think it's still going to be um, somebody playing the position at a really high level. Yeah. All right. Um, We got – this is from uh, the Midwest from Andrew. Um, he said, hello, Ryan and Dave, since you guys love my charts, the last time I wrote, I've returned with more, uh, this time I'm playing around with the conference realignment idea. Ryan proposed a few weeks ago, Cal and Stanford moved to the South while Colorado and Utah go to the North under the current scheduling format teams in the South, either play Cal or Stanford with the exception of USC and UCLA who play both. Um, so I guess, so teams in the South play either or Cal or Stanford, but USC and UCLA both play, they play them both. Uh, with the knowledge that the Pac-12 and Ch- and Champagne Larry like to export the scheduling duties to outside organizations, I decided to take a look to see how they've done since Colorado and Utah joined the conference. When compiling all the games, I was very surprised to see that the outside group actually does a great job of making sure every team faces each other in an equal a number of times. This group is doing better than a lot of whatever the SEC is doing. For example... This coming season is the first time that Georgia and Texas A&M are meeting as conference foes. Keep in mind, the Aggies joined the SEC back in 2012. For the Pac-12, it seems the only scheduling issues the conference faces is where to place bye weeks, when the uh, when's the best place to put away games, if there are weeknight games, and what time the games are to be played. For the reformed conference, keeping uniformity within the schedule would need to be kept while also making everyone from the North happy by having them visit the California schools. An idea the conference could use for that would be what the NCAA video games do in that they have the option to, quote, lock rivalries. If applied, a team from the South Division would always play a team or their rival from the North Division. The trick then would be to rotate so everyone visits the California and Arizona schools evenly. I think the realignment idea could work, and it would be fun to see I would like to hear what you guys think. Keep up the great work and fight on your friend from Buckeye country, Andrew. And I think when you give it to an outside organization, that's the only thing you're getting is this uniform. Like they just provide the uniformity and they didn't really look at, Oh, Washington, you know, has to go on the road and then, you know, go back on the road to Oregon who had a buy the week before, like they never weren't taking those things in consideration. So they, they made sure everything is even up. And that's what the PAC 12 has all been about. Like you got six pairs of schools and everything's evenly divided and it all works out evenly where in the sec you have 14 and they only have eight conference games. I don't think that they're doing anything. I mean, it's crazy that they Georgia and Texas AM, Texas A&M haven't played, but I think that's, set up that way because you only play eight conference games and you have, you know, seven teams in your division. So you only play two from the other side every year. So I think that's just part of the problem and they don't mind it that way. There's no, there's no one from, Oh, I have to be playing in, you know, 
Arkansas isn't complaining that they don't get to play in Florida enough or whatever. They just kind of recruit that whole area. It's a little bit different uh, in the Pac-12. But the way that's set up, you can go two and six at conference and still go to a bowl game. So it's they've really gamed the system in the SEC. Yeah, and I think part of it is the Pac-12 is, is still relatively recently uh, was doing a full round Robin. So when they moved to a 12-team system, they still wanted to keep that as close to as possible around Robin, which means, you know, playing everybody semi-regularly. Um, and so they've probably made that the number one priority because of that. Um, I, I, I don't know exactly. I'd have to spend some time diving into this spreadsheet you sent us, Andrew. Um, but yeah, I like the idea of locking rivalries. Um, and it would be then, you know, that would be a little bit of a challenge, but um, yeah, that'd be fun to see. Agreed. Yeah, it's, it's different. I mean, I know most of the people we hear say that's a bad idea, um, you know, to to put Cal and Stanford in, in the South. Uh, it would fix some scheduling things, but like you said, like, you know, like Andrew was saying, there's, if you're Oregon State or whatever, and you want to make sure that you're getting trips to California, it makes it a lot tougher when Cal and Stanford aren't in your division anymore. Yep. All right. This is from Hitfoday. Oh, uh, Sal at Lux. I don't know. I, uh, I, I don't want to I, think I, about it. I don't know. It's Latin. I don't know. Um, Lux is light. Um, I don't know what Sal is, but it's something in light. Okay. Salt and light. Salt. Maybe salt. Um, I got a relatively lucid picture by the dim standards of this podcast of what you guys think of every team except Arizona State. I think they suffered from being early alphabetically since their segment just compared how all their opponents, whom you hadn't yet discussed, would fare against the blank slate, the team that's perfectly average in every way. Or did that answer the question and you think that's exactly what ASU will be? Hit the day, I don't not think that. Yeah. Um, so I think that's maybe kind of we did tell on ourselves a little bit there because I think we both kind of have that thought about ASU this year. I think, right? yeah, I think last year we didn't have the, you know, the highest opinion. And then we talked to our buddy Cartman and he kind of, Oh, you hate, you hate Arizona state this year. Didn't you have him going like four and eight or something? Uh, I don't think so. What did I have? Um, I think you hated him. I had ASU. No, five and seven. Oh, okay. You had them six and six, so. Yeah. Uh, you had one more conference win. But, you know, and I, I think Chris last year told us that they should have a good year in 2018, but there could be a significant drop-off in 2018. So I think that's sort of where I went with it. Like, he, you know, they finished second last year, and I think it'll be more middle of the pack in the South this year. But who knows? You know, it's hard to say. I mean, they, I like the coaching staff they put together. Um, you know, they got some young, you know, stud talents at, you know, Croswell and, uh, Merlin Robertson and stuff. I mean, that's, there's a, there's, you know, some reason for optimism there, but I, I just kind of think they're going to be middle of the road, uh, packed off South this year. Yep. Agreed. This is from Jamie, uh, beware the Arizona trip last week was possibly the most above average podcast yet of this off season. Now that Dave has done his 45 minutes of homework for the upcoming season, he can take the rest of the year off. You are so right, Jamie. Uh, I agree with Ryan that Washington should and probably will be favored in every game this year. However, I also agree with Dave that when considering the aggregate, you have to assign a loss somewhere on their schedule. 
So which game will it be? You can immediately cross off Eastern Washington, Hawaii, BYU, Oregon State, Colorado, and Washington State. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yes, true. Yeah. Okay. It's a hard area. Uh, they will have Cal and Oregon, and to a lesser extent, USC circled as revenge games, all of which are at home. So I don't see them getting tripped up by any of those three. They seem to have Utah's number, even though they're typically very close games, which leaves us with at Stanford and at Arizona to pick from. I'm more Team Dave when it comes to the Cardinal, and I think Washington's defense will match up pretty well against them. So if I'm a Washington fan, which I'm not, the game that scares me the most is at Arizona. It's right before the Oregon game. It's the second of back-to-back road games, and I could see this as being one of those crazy games where Khalil Tate randomly goes off for 200-plus rushing yards. Also, for whatever reason, the state of Arizona has been a nightmare to Washington over the years. While not quite as bad as Arizona State, they've struggled in Tucson as well. Their only win in the last 12 years, <coughs> excuse me, coming in overtime against the 2016 team that went 3-9. and nine. So he said, uh, for the good of the conference, please, Washington, don't overlook Arizona. And he wrote down, uh, so... All the way back 2007, uh, so I guess this is Washington versus Arizona, lost to a 5-7 and seven Arizona squad. 2008, uh, this was at, at home. Uh, 2008, at Arizona, lost to an 8-5 and five Arizona team. 2009, beat Arizona at home, an 8-5 and five team. Then the next year, 2010, at Arizona, lost to a 7-6 and six Arizona team. Uh, beat a 4-8 and eight Arizona team at home in 2011. Lost on the road to an eight and five Arizona team in 2012. Uh, beat Arizona at home again, eight and five squad. Lost to a ten and four uh, Arizona team back in 2014. 2015, uh, one versus a seven and six Arizona squad, and then a really close game like he mentioned uh, at Arizona in 2016. Arizona was three and nine last year, and Washington won 35-28. All right, so. Yeah, so beware Arizona. So maybe that's the game that Washington loses. Cool. Um, I think I picked Stanford, but yeah, that's fine. Um, all right, so Bernie. Again, Bernie. We got questions. Bernie. All right. Hi, guys. For Ryan, your enthusiasm and excitement for the USC football program has ski ro- skyrocketed. Skyrocketed. Definitely want a Y there and skyrocketed. Yeah. Uh, over the past few weeks. Ski rocketing would be cool, though. Like throw some throw some boosters on the back of those Ooh, things. Yeah. See how far you go. Yeah. Um, the past few weeks, it is too bad they have to start playing games. <laughs> <laughs> My question for you is, where would you rate their offensive line in the Pac-12? I mean, Bernie, I I picked USC to go seven and five last week, so I don't know. I'm not sure where this is coming from. Um, uh, sounds like a lot of ski rocketing to me. There's Ryan. some ski rocketing. Uh, yes, I didn't pick them to win the the South. I didn't I pick them to go seven and five. Um, it's really hard to say because you, you lose, they lost 60% of the offensive line, but they performed pretty poorly last year. Um, I think they have a pretty good, you know, five or six guys, uh, there. And I think with Tim Drevno, it's going to be a huge upgrade as their offensive line coach over Neil Calloway, who I just think I just heard since he's gone, I've heard more and more kind of not good things that have confirmed what we kind of saw. Um, so that could be a big boost uh, for the offensive line, just not having the coach has been there the last three years who, when they were really underperforming pretty much every year. So I don't know where they would rank in the pack. So it's really hard to say right now, but I think they're going to be better than what you saw last year. All right. 
And then for Dave, did you read Bruce Feldman's preview of UCLA football in The Athletic, June 14th, 2019? And if so, do you agree with his assessment? Um, I did read it. Uh, yeah, mostly. Um, I think the important thing to remember, and I think Feldman is a fantastic reporter, but a lot of times, um, especially in preview articles, um, what a reporter is getting is a lot of what the coaches are telling them. Um, and so some of it is like projecting guys who coaches could be high on who, you know, may not, might not turn out, but I think on the broad strokes, I think it all made sense. Um, I think he's got a good grasp of, uh, everything going on with UCLA right now and, and kind of the projections ahead. I don't know if I'm quite as optimistic, um, but there's certainly some reason to think that UCLA could rebound in a big way this year. Yeah. Um, I think he's known Chip Kelly for a while, so that's probably, you know, I would assume he's getting some stuff right. Oh, I, I think, that, yeah, there's a relationship there. So I think he gets a lot of stuff from Chip Kelly, which is you know, really good. But I think it also, I mean, <laughs> you're, you're no coach is negative about their team yeah. like in a real way. I mean, I know I know Kelly and staff were dogging the team before the start of last season and trying to reset expectations with a lot of media types, uh, but they're not going to do that now, a year in. Yeah. Um, the setting expectations for the first year makes sense. Yeah. Uh, we got this one from Mike in uh, Highland, Utah. It's uh, Stop Pimping the Utes. Hola, David and Ryan. Again, from behind enemy lines, it's bad enough that I have to fend off rabid Ute fans each day at the gym as I attempt to exercise in peace. Add to this burden the unending promotion from U2 hombres that, quote, the Utes remain the most consistent team in the South, blah, blah, blah. Consistent, you say? Well, one could agree if you were to define consistent as just under mediocre. I guess that is... I'm sorry, that it would surprise you to learn that in the last eight years since joining the Pac-12, the Utes have a 46.57 winning percentage in conference play. Yes, I will admit they're well coached. If you disregard a few bonehead plays like dropping the ball in celebration before crossing the goal line and watching idly as an Oregon player picks up the discarded pigskin and scoots 99 yards the other way for six. Um, So he lists... Uh, the win-loss record for the Utes since from 2011 to 2018, four and five, three and six, two and seven, five and four, six and three, five and four, three and six, six and three. So that's the conference uh, record. Add one division game in eight years at zero and one. Oh, so I think he means the um, championship game. So uh, 34 wins and 39 losses over those eight years. Uh, during the same eight years. Care to guess which teams in the conference have a worse overall record in conference play? Even the lowly Bruins have a 37-37 record, uh, two losses to the North, North champs included. You'll find the Utes ahead of only Colorado and Arizona in the South. I did not run the uh, North numbers, but a quick guess would conclude that only Oregon State and Dub Bears have fewer conference wins in that span. As for this year, yeah, it looks like the Utes could win the South. Not because they are juggernaut, but primarily because the other five teams look pretty hopeless. Just a little sanity injected here before I head off to the gym and do battle with 400 rabid Ute fans. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Helming Red Hats. Uh, sorry, bearded one, forgot to sign off above Mike uh, from Highland, Utah. Well, Mike, I think you're, I mean, obviously you're taking the full sample of the Pac-12 years for Utah, but you're not really taking into account the fact that they had to jump up from Mountain West play to Pac-12. Um, so... If you if you just look at the last five years, it's five and four, six and three, five and four, three and six, six and three. 
So that's pretty damn consistent. Like that's that's yeah. pretty consistent. Two, the three and six in 2017 was you know definitely a down year, but I mean you've well, seen and it was it was an anomaly. That team was really good, but they just they kind of lost some weird games. But they were here. Let me let me pull this up because I think it's important to look at the advanced look at um, 2017 Utah because I think they were actually much better than their record indicated. And last yeah. year too, they had the tough. You know, they were playing like I think they played like Washington, Washington State back to back. Like there was, there was, and they got you know, and they had you know Moss and Huntley both go down with injuries. So it's like yeah. I mean, and they still won the South. So the, you're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. So in in 2017, Utah, um, w- according to S and P Plus, Bill Connolly's uh, ranking system, they were the 25th best team in the country at seven and six. And they should have been, they had the stat profile of a team that was more like, um, more like had more like eight and a half wins. So they were, they, they played, they, they, their record was like a full one and a half wins behind where they should have been according to the stats. Yeah. So they, they were much better than they looked. Um, so that's kind of an anomaly, but from a performance standpoint, they've been the same team for like five years. I mean, that's, that's more consistent than anybody. Yeah. I'm not stopping saying that, Mike. I know I know you're in a tough spot, but we're we're going to continue with that narrative. Yeah. But thanks for the All question. All right. We have final one final one. Rose Bowl predictions. My question is, this is from Pac-12 fan. My question is who goes to the Rose Bowl? Utah, Washington, or is it going to be a 2016 year when USC went over Colorado, even though Colorado won the South? Like Oregon or someone else going to the Rose Bowl, assuming Washington makes the playoff, or is the Pac-12 going to get passed over again for a playoff seat? Well, according to our predictions, I think we both would probably have Utah Utah. in the Rose Bowl, right? Yeah, Utah in the Rose Bowl. We're going for it. Yeah, so we were saying Washington makes the playoff. And that was a weird year for Colorado. Like, did they go 8-1? and in conference, but then get like smoked by Washington and they had lost to USC or wait. Yeah. They lost to USC that year, I think. And then they picked USC was like start off one and three, but surged and, and beat Washington on the road. So USC had beat both teams that were in the conference uh, championship game. So they, and they got picked to go to the Rose bowl and maybe some of it's just legacy and all that stuff. But I think this year, if it goes the way we projected last week, it would be Washington in the playoff and Utah in the Rose bowl absolutely nice all right well great stuff thanks for all the questions and everything um yeah hopefully you guys you like our teams and you know yell at us you, you can't really yell at us because we asked everybody so the the whatever fan you're a team of whatever fan, whatever team you're a fan of it's been a long day whatever team you're a fan <laughs> of we asked the publisher of that that site to you know put out their names there so if we left somebody off and you're like oh sheer should have put this guy in or uh, you know, Fetter should have mentioned this guy, whatever it is, um, you know, email us and let us know. But I uh, hope you guys like that list. And, and hopefully you have a better feel for some of the top players in the conference now. Uh, we, one can only hope. Yeah. One can only hope. Yeah. All right. Well, anything else, Dave? Are we done? Oh, I'm so done. I'm kind of done too. Um, all right. Well, thank you everyone for listening to the podcast of champions. Uh, that's my co-host David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will talk to you next time.